there is no issue and there's nothing wrong with feeling terrible. And as people always say, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not feel happy all the time. But depending on the type of person you are, do you want to just ride that out? Do you want to just hope it goes away? Or do you want to be proactive and try and do something about it? Hey guys, and welcome to Take Flight, a peak performance podcast where we speak with the best in the world at what they do, experts in their various fields, and I'm really excited to speak to this person today because it's a subject that not too many people know much about, to be honest, and one that I get questions about fairly consistently, and that is about podcasting. So the guest for episode 40 of the Take Flight podcast is Luke Moore. Luke is someone who's followed his passion from the outset. He's trusted the process and by doing so has ultimately gone from starting a football podcast in his kitchen to building one of the biggest football shows listened to by hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. His podcast is The Football Ramble. It is now going weekly. They've now expanded it to do Ramble Meet, which is more one-to-one style interviews like Take Flight. And they just do so much great stuff. It's really good fun. I highly recommend if you haven't listened to it before. Luke has also built the production company Radio Stakhanov that runs 11 podcasts in total, other football shows, The Luke and Pete Show, and loads of others that you can look on their website for. And most recently, he has become an integral part of the team at TalkSport. And if you don't know, TalkSport is one of the world's biggest sports radio stations. So to go from setting up a small little podcast, talking about football in your kitchen, to now working for one of the biggest sports radio shows in the world, I mean, that just shows how far he's come. I met Luke over a year ago and was so pleased we finally got to sit down and record this episode. Of course, we talk all about podcasting and football, but I was slightly surprised to go into as much depth as we did on things like mental health, life, meaning and finding your purpose, which obviously is a subject I love talking about and we have these chats on the podcast quite a lot, but I went in ready to talk all about football, which I haven't had a chance to do yet on the podcast. But I was absolutely delighted to go into these subjects in more detail with Luke because he's an absolute legend. He's one of the most intelligent people I've sat down with and I loved kind of going back and forth and hearing a little bit more about his views and opinions on these sorts of things. And I genuinely love this chat. It was a pretty long week for me this week when I recorded with Luke and it made my week sitting down with him. We had a good hour and a half chat and we actually sat down after the episode as well and carried on talking after after we'd finished recording and had loads of other good chats as well so i really loved this i could have spoke with him for ages and i'm sure we'll get him on again another time this is one of our longer episodes so if you don't get a chance to listen to it all in one sitting please do revisit it because as i said luke's one of the most intelligent people that i've spoke with about this sort of stuff and his outlook's amazing and i really believe his advice will really really help people and impact those that listen so please do come back and revisit if you don't get to listen to it all in the first sit. So as I said, I love this conversation so much. I can't wait to listen back to it myself. Without further ado, please enjoy episode 40 of the Take Flight podcast with the legend that is Luke Moore. Luke, welcome to the Take Flight podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for having me, mate. This is, is amazing. Thank you. So we are sat, we're in North London yeah. in Luke's studio where they record the the uh, football ramble podcast yeah it's not just my studio i should probably add it's um it's for everyone who works here and it's been a group effort to, to, to get it up and running and it's <clears throat> for the football ramble and of course for our sort of 
umbrella company, Radio Stakhanov, our production house, which makes a lot of different shows. And so it's good to have this here as a resource for, for when we need it. Yeah, but it is really incredible. Uh, thanks so much for having me, mate. Of course. It's awesome. I was just saying there, it's the best place I've recorded a podcast for sure. Great. Um, That's what we like to hear. Yeah. And uh, yeah, mate, I think it's worth saying how we met as well. Yeah, sure. So it was probably a year and a half ago. Yeah, about a year, about a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, it was yeah about a year and a half ago, and GQ put an event on. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was somewhere in central London, wasn't it? Over the other side of the road from Hyde Park at yeah. a big kind of like embassy type house, wasn't mm-hmm. it? I can't remember what it was called. It was actually a really good event. Wasn't it? it was nice. Yeah, it was good. yeah. So I signed up. I registered because there was a podcasting, basically like a class or like a lesson, a class or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I signed up. I was probably about five or six episodes into Take Flight at that point. Yeah. So sat in, listened, had four people on the panel. And for me personally, the person I connected with most on the panel with the advice and the story was was you. I thought you were going to say it was someone else, but they, <laughs> could, they, could, they couldn't make it. So you got me in. <laughs> no, I'm pleased to hear that. So yeah, we, we connected and had a chat afterwards. And yeah. you kindly invited me down here. So I came down here probably about a year ago as well. Yeah. Um, and saw everything, had a chat, and you gave me some really good advice about podcasting and what to do. So yeah. Yeah, um, I'm pretty good at bluffing my ticket and that sort of kind of stuff. So I hope it was at least halfway helpful, mate. Massively helpful. So, um, yeah. So off the back of that, really wanted to get you on the podcast and hear all about your story. I think it's really, really inspiring. And uh, it took us just a year to organise. That's how long it took. <laughs> well, we're both in travel. That's we? true. Yeah, we're both both busy. Exactly. Tell us where you've been then. Where where, where um, recently? Uh, recently, I've been to. Um, I was in Lisbon for a weekend uh, with the football ramble. I was in Santorini for a week. I was in Menorca in the Balearics for a weekend with again with the football ramble that was a sponsored show um with 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 a company and then i was in the south of the u.s with my wife and her family for a couple of weeks so amazing yeah best one best location well listen you're asking me to choose between my sister's wedding and my brother-in-law's wedding so i'll say (laughs) those both equally were uh yeah were good not one of the podcasts it's just, I'm always with those guys. It's, it's kind of like, that's also kind of like a family as well. So there's as many arguments, but probably a bit more drinking, I expect. But yeah, it's all, it's all good. I can't complain. It's a great life. Um, you know, as I often say, I used to, you know, I used to work in a call center and I used to stack shelves at, at Safeway supermarket, which is obviously both very noble and important jobs, but not, not ones I particularly enjoyed. So wow. uh, compared to that, you know, there's no complaints from Amazing. me. Amazing. Is mm. Safeway still going? Mm-mm. No. I think they're Morrison's now, aren't they? Oh, really? I believe wow. so, yeah. I believe they're Morrison's now, mate, yeah. Nice. I could okay. talk to you about Sofa as long as you want, by the way. <laughs> I, to be fair, I, I did used to quite enjoy it, but I think that I didn't really know if there was much of a future in it for me, so I, I, I ended up moving up to London. Oh, mate, I definitely want to talk about that because part of the podcast is about where people have come from, where they're yeah. going to. So if we start yeah. off with where you are today, the sort of stuff you're doing outside of your travels and everything, what would, yeah. you, what would a normal week look like for you? Um, well... It'll be in here for th- currently time of recording three times a week. So I'll come in on the Monday and we'll do uh, the first football ramble of the week kind of late morning. Obviously, all the prep that comes along with that from Sunday night through to Monday morning after the football's finished. Then we record that. I also do an episode of the Luke and Pete show on Monday with Pete Dawson. Um, and then other kind of admin stuff that comes along with running Radio Stakhanov, which I run with two colleagues, of, of which one is Pete. Mm-hmm. Tuesday is a day work from home and in at TalkSport to do, I do a book review section at TalkSport on the Hawksby and Jacobs show, so a bit of prep for that. I need to read a book, literally need to read a sports book every week, um, you know, assuming I haven't actually read the book before. Then Wednesday is a, a European football show we do called On the Continent, 
Um, so European stuff, but I co-host that, so it's not as research-heavy. Thursday is the Ramble preview show, and then Friday evening I do the season ticket on Tour Sport from 7 till 10 p.m., so prepping for that. So it's kind of a full working week, really. And weekends normally tend to be my own, but I have to spend a lot of those watching football. Yeah. So it's kind of a busy week, but it's good to be busy. Amazing. So you still love football? Yes. It's, yes, I do. And um, I'll, be, I'll be lying if I was... If I did, if I, look, sun, if it's a Super Sunday and it's you know with the greatest respect to those teams, it's you know Burnley v Watford and it's a lovely day outside. Am I gonna occasionally agree to go out for a walk with my wife instead and watch it later? Yes, but ultimately, yeah, I still do love football and I love everything that comes along with it and I love the uni- unifying nature of it and and the all encompassing kind of circus around it. Along with music, it's probably my first love, so it's something that's always been a part of my life, and I feel very fortunate to, to work as, as a small part of it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful for what I do, and I enjoy it, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, mate, because I think, like, when you immerse yourself in something like this and you, you, you build a business out of it, mm. it's hard because I think even with this, you know, I've only been doing it 18 months, but I love this subject matter about personal development, about mm. um, hearing inspiring stories and stuff, but when you do it so consistently all the time, naturally there's going to be yeah. points where you get tired of it. Yeah, you've got to kind of be able to learn to predict when it's going to become a bit of an albatross around your neck and when it's starting to get you down and try and head that off and use sort of techniques mentally to make sure that you try and stay on top of it. Something I'm not always brilliant at, to be fair, but my situation is slightly different to yours because I'm part of a bigger team. Now, I'm I, in some respects, I'm the figurehead of the team, and it comes to you know, and perhaps going out and finding new podcasts to, to 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 take on board or to develop or whatever. And I'm one of the main people on the football ramble because there's four of us on air, but five of us in total. But I'm still part of a team. A lot of the support that comes along behind the scenes probably doesn't go that well mentioned as much as it should because it's important. So it's not always all about me, as I try and remind myself. And so I do have a support network with me. Um, when we first started out, of course, it was a, it was a bit different because there was no real structure. And no real experience. And I think you can rely on your experience a bit as well. But yeah, it can become a grind. I mean, the same as any job can be. Mm. You know, sometimes you don't want to go to work in the morning. Yeah. But that happens to me compared to most people, I'd imagine, fairly seldomly. So it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah. No, it's interesting, mate. It's, it's a topic we talk about a lot, actually. Is there anything specific that you do then when you do feel like it's going to be weighing over you a little bit much or, or a lot's going on? Yeah, I try and, I mean, first of all, try and t- sort of maintain perspective, try and kind of take a moment to think about the journey I've been on and, and what it used to be like and where we've come to and and try and see the positive in things. I know it's pretty obvious. I, I occasionally use the Headspace app mm, nice. to essentially focus myself mentally on on what I need to do and, and to clear my mind of the clutter that's in it um, and also try and take a bit of time for myself. I think I think one of the things that I, I think perhaps people don't do enough of is understand that the quiet time and the time just to yourself, even if you're just reading a book or so yeah, some people just want to watch a you know a couple of episodes of a comedy show that they know really well and they've watched a hundred times before, but it helps them relax. And 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 to me, I see that as I'm not someone who goes to the gym, as you can probably tell, but I, I'm led to believe that your rest days are as important as your as your training days, right? Yeah. Because your body needs time to recover. And I think your mind and your brain should be exactly the same. So whilst I've just described to you a pretty busy week, within that week, I will work in time to relax. So sometimes I'll be home by three yeah. and I'll have a couple of hours when my wife gets home from work or 
a few hours to, to, to relax. So the techniques I use, Headspace app, and I spent about 18 months seeing a therapist um, weekly for a variety of different reasons. And you learn quite a lot of stuff in that as well that help you as well. So, um, yeah, a few different bits and pieces. Amazing. What what therapy was that? I've shared on this that I did um, CBT. Like cognitive okay. Behavioral so I, did, so I, I had psychotherapy yeah. um, once a week for 50-minute sessions once a week nice. with a um, with yeah with a psychotherapist, basically. Amazing. Was that in London? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So, like, just a lot of self-reflection, mm. um, analysing behaviours and yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Le- just learning learn about yourself, like, like um, learn to understand yourself better, understand mm-hmm. how your experience is and your, um, your journey up until the point you're at now and how it's affected you and how every, every experience kind of shapes you in mm-hmm. some, however small, some, some kind of way, even if you don't realise it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. What was it? I heard something the other day that I loved, which was you can't control the stories or the narratives that you told yourself or that were put into your life as a child, but as an adult, it's your responsibility to change them. Yeah, fine. I yeah. agree with that. I, yeah. think that's, I think that's fair. Nice. And do you find as well, like being in what you do, a lot of content, um, a lot of publishing of like episodes and, yeah. uh, it, you know, social media and all these things, it's all very tech heavy, isn't it? Yes. Is it hard to get away from that as well? Well, fortunately, um, I saw, well, in terms of the fact that I take myself seriously enough to help run a business, I don't, I don't do... I can't afford to do things like tech detoxes and stuff. I'm not like Mark Zuckerberg. I can't go on that like that Black Mirror episode that came out recently where the guy's on like a 10-day tech detox retreat in the middle of the desert. I don't do that. Um, Would you? 10 days is probably a bit bit, bit long. I, I, I'd find that difficult, I think. <laughs> but um, I do try and... I think the first step on this kind of stuff is to understand that it needs to be done. There is a balance to be struck. Now, whether I always strike that balance, I think probably not. But... It's important because I think the reason that you get burnt out and you get stressed and you have anxiety and all the stuff that comes along with it, clearly, at least for me, is related to overwork and is related to thinking too much about work and yeah. and kind of fighting against those negative thoughts and all that kind of thing. So it's something I'm definitely aware of, yeah. But to be honest, I try and tell myself that I'm not down the pit. You know, I'm not I'm not a miner. I'm not someone who genuinely works really very hard for under pressure for for um for a number of different reasons the life balance what the work-life balance i have i, I would say i'm reasonably happy with at this point yeah. yeah amazing mate yeah it's difficult isn't it because i think like you know using the example there being down the pit like physical exhaustion versus mental exhaustion yeah. is just like such a difficult thing because we don't know enough about what all this tech is doing to our brains but true um, uh, sometimes like sometimes you do get stressed out mentally because you've you've just because your brain's been switched on for so long yeah. like i found when i first started doing radio which is live and there's no chance to to stop and start again or edit anything, the mental strain of three hours on air was very, very difficult. But now I actually find it fairly straightforward. I don't really think about it now. And mm-hmm. it, feels, it felt a bit like when you first learned to drive a car and you're, when you first learn, you're super aware of everything that's going on. You're terrified and you want to get from one place to another. Now, I mean, if you're anything like me, you'll just, you'll just jump in the car and go somewhere. You yeah. won't even think about it. So it's a bit like that. And I think the more you learn to do things and you get used to them, the easier it, it becomes. Yeah, so good, mate. It's that like comfort zone thing, isn't it? As yeah. soon as you're outside of it, like everything becomes like, oh my God, what's this? What's yeah. going on? It's all like, it's high stress. But it's important to do that occasionally because you want to learn new things as well, right? Yeah. Hmm. So mate, perfect segue to talk about your journey. So where you began, obviously you just talked about there being on the radio now. That's where you are today. Hmm. <clears throat> Can you tell us a little bit about the start of the podcast, how the idea even came about and what made you take action on it? 
Yeah. Um, I went to a place called Farnborough College of Technology, which is part of the University of Surrey, and it's based in on the kind of Hampshire-Surrey border um, after school, after taking a year out, working at Safeway. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, because I didn't, um, I didn't really do that well at school. And so Farnborough College of Technology, I was always interested in the media. I was quite fortunate that from a fairly young age, I was always interested in radio. So I used to listen to the radio as a kid when I went to bed. I would sometimes, you know, flick the old TV on, but a lot of time I'd listen to the radio to get off to sleep. And what I, would you listen to? I used to listen to this station called BBC Radio. I don't know what it was called then, but now it's BBC Radio Solent. And I used to have this phone in. And it was kind of a cheesy, kind of nothing phone in, really. It was probably fairly Alan Partridge style looking back on it. But this is like <laughs> the late 80s, early 90s. And I just loved the fact that the community side of it, that, that people would call in and just talk about different topics and the presenter would listen to them. And I never ever called in or anything. I just used to like listening in. And so radio was always a fascination to me. And then when I finished at college, um, sixth form college, I decided that I wanted to, to, to find out more about this and pursue it. And that was the only real thing I was good at. I mean, the only thing I've ever really been that good at is talking. And so it kind of felt like a natural fit. So I went to Pharma College Technology um, did an HND there for a couple of years. And throughout that time, they had a fairly decent um, college university radio station. And um, I was fortunate enough to to be able to, to do the Saturday sports show on that um, because they probably just wanted someone who could talk forever. And it was a four-hour show, by the way. <laughs> the only thing is no one was listening because it's like university radio. So you can kind of make a lot of your mistakes there and no one really cares. Nice. And um, the roving reporter on that was Marcus Speller, who's now the host of the Football Ramble. Uh, and the co-host of that was a guy called Chris, who was one of the first um, people on the Football Ramble when we first started it with me, with four of us. And um, and then, so I graduated from there in 2002. And in 2007, so five years later, living up in London, I got a call from Marcus, who I was still kind of in touch with. And he said, oh, do you want to meet up? I want to talk to you about something. And I said, yeah. I met up with him and a couple of the other guys and and they said, look, do you want to make this show into a... We really enjoyed doing the Saturday sports show. Do you want to make it into a podcast? And I was like, well, I don't really know what a podcast is, but <laughs> sounds like it'd be fun. And uh, I was living in a house with three of my mates at the time up in Harlesden in northwest London. <clears throat> and um, they just came over. I said, yeah, do it at my place. It'd be easier because I didn't really want to go and travel anywhere to do it. So I was like, come to mine. Did it at my place. Did it in the kitchen because it was a big open plan kitchen. Recorded the first few eps. Kind of enjoyed it. Um, along the way, um, two Chris's we had dropped out and Jim Campbell came in and then after that, Pete Donaldson came in and that's the four of us who do it still now. And how long ago was that? 2002, did you say? No, the Saturday Sports Show was 2002 and the podcast started in 2007. Okay. And we kind of started taking it seriously from maybe late 2008 maybe and then around that time or maybe a bit before that, uh, John, who is the fifth member of the Ramble, who's the only one of on the Ramble who's not on the, the show itself, he takes care of literally everything else. He came involved, sort of professionalised it, and and we kind of worked through it from there. Amazing. And now it's, um, yeah, now it is what it is. Yeah. And what's the importance of having people around you like that? Because we were talking before about how like, oh, I'm doing this on my own. It's so important. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that, um, and I don't mean, so you say you're doing it on your own, but ultimately, it depends which way you look at it. Because even though you are a one-man band and you deserve all the plaudits that come along for doing all this work, you're not... Um, coding the soundcloud you're not mm. taking care of the hosting of the website you're not um 
Yeah, you, what I'm saying is no one, ex- no, no man's an island, right? No one exists on their own. So why it might not be obvious that you've got a team around you. You do actually have a team around you. You just don't speak to them or, or consider them part of your business, but they do exist. Clearly, when you go further on the line and you start firming up the arrangements you have with people and you have a proper team, then it becomes a little bit more obvious. But no one does things on their own. I, I, used to th- I think that's a common thing. When I was younger, I really wanted to prove myself individually. I wanted to be like, yeah, this is great, but I want to do this and I want to you know, write a novel and I want to you know, make a record, whatever it may be. But even those kind of things, you can't, you can't do it on your own. Like a novelist has got a publisher and a script editor, yeah. uh, sorry, a um, proofreader and an editor and all that kind of stuff. So it, the team part is really important. And what is really important as well is to surround yourselves with people who can take care of parts of the operation that you're not very good at. So... We have, John is, is brilliant. He, he's brilliant at everything I'm terrible at. And he's probably pretty good at the stuff I'm good at as well. So it's a lot of crossover there where we can sort of bounce ideas around. And I've worked with him consistently since we started. And I've known him since I was about, I think since I was 16. So he's, obviously I can trust him and it's a really good arrangement for me. And that's important because no one's good at everything. You, know, you sometimes meet generational talents who are brilliant at, and they're going to be brilliant whatever happens. You know, they're going to be, Bob Dylan or, you know, George Best or, you know, geniuses, basically. But, you know, most of us aren't geniuses. And so we have to be realistic about our own shortcomings and how other people can help us and how we can help them because there are certain things that they can't do that I can do, but it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And and the team is the most important thing because you're never, ever going to achieve anything unless you work with other people. Yeah. Oh, mate, I love that. I think, well, did you... The guy you were saying who's like works more on the technical side of things, did you like handpick him because of his skills or did it just like come together like that? Well, <clears throat> you, you kind of pick people up along the way. John's been involved since the very start and he he won't he he doesn't do the technical stuff in quotes. He 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 leads the team, he runs commercial stuff, he looks after okay. the legal side of it, he looks after the strategic ideas, lots of different bits and pieces. In terms of the tech people, um you kind of outsource that, right? So you mm-hmm. need so Pete, who I work with very very close, he's got um, he's very technically educated, so he can he can help out with that kind of thing. And John's good at that because he's a bit of an all rounder. But to build this studio, we didn't do it ourselves. Yeah. We brought someone in the same way. If you wanted to extend your house, you'd, you wouldn't do it yourself. It's helpful to have some knowledge about it to make sure, presumably, you're not being completely ripped off. But someone's going to come in and do it for you. And that just back that just goes back into my earlier theory about you need to bring people in all the time in all different parts of your life. And I think to close yourself off from the world and kind of isolate yourself isn't going to help you achieve something. I mean, you still might achieve something, but it's not going to help you do that. Yeah. And you know what? One of the biggest things I'll take away from what I've done with, with Take Flight so far is, yeah, I could look at it as being on my own, but like, I'm sat here with you right now. Mm, exactly. And the people that I've met along the way, I would have never met you if I hadn't started the podcast because I yeah. would have gone to the event and... No. There's so many relationships I've, I've built with people since starting it. So I suppose that's another extension to it. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so when was the tipping point then? You you obviously started the podcast. You had the group of you, a couple changed in, a couple changed out. Yeah. And when was the tipping point when it really started to get big and the, the listeners got more and more engaged? Well, it was a little bit easier back then. Well, the ch- actually, the challenge is different now. The challenge now for podcasting is to cut through because there's so many podcasts. The challenge for us was to get people to understand what a podcast actually is Mm. and um really it was kind of traditional pr i mean i remember a big moment for us was getting a feature in 442 magazine which is obviously a a 
certainly was a bit of a bible for football fans back back in the day and and that really helped us and we saw a lot of listeners pick it up from there but tipping point's a difficult one to ascertain because we did this we hammered this every single week and then later on twice a week without ever missing a scheduled episode and I don't think we've ever missed a scheduled episode in like 12 years and and it's just it's almost like death by a thousand cuts you know you're relying on people to love the show you, you basically first of all you put confidence in, in the fact that you enjoy what you're doing and you think it's good then you rely on people to listen to it and then you rely on people to like it enough to tell other people about it and we've built up a, a big listenership now but it's taken a long time when we first started I mean there was no one listening to it obviously can you do that now I think you probably can if it's good enough I think people would the, the, the paths to finding it are certainly a lot easier than they were then because everyone's got a podcast app on their phone now. So there's just a lot more competition. So we kind of did get on the ground floor a bit, which is very, very important. But we stuck at it and we've, we've, we've sort of beavered away over and over again until we sort of bludgeoned people over the head with it for so long that most football fans in the UK have probably thought, I've heard that, I don't like it, or I, li- I like it. Yeah, yeah so that's that's... That's the secret. Just 12 years of hard graft is the secret <laughs> to get a tipping point. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, that's amazing. I love the, uh, the death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. That's brilliant. Mm. A lot of people talk about persistence and the importance of that, about yeah. finding success. And um, naturally, if people stick with it and they're passionate about it, you have to be passionate. Otherwise, you're not going to... But it's realistic it. persistence, right, Mark? Because, you know, you and I, well, maybe not you, maybe you're probably pretty good at football, but I, I, I could, at 38, like I am now, persist over and over again knocking on the door at Arsenal's training ground asking them to give me a contract they're not going to give me one are they so you've still got to be realistic you've got to have at least a bit of self-awareness to know actually that's not that good we're probably wasting our time here and then knowing when something's worth pursuing and when it isn't and that's a judgement call that you don't always get right by the way so how do we do that it's such a difficult thing to do Hmm. how do we then say now's the time to throw it all in because a lot you know the, the subjects we talk about here is take flight taking a leap of faith Yeah. Um. if people are passionate about something and they love it I suppose it's a bit of self-awareness, right? When we're looking at people on X Factor who are singing and thinking they're going to be the next Beyonce, yeah. who are awful. They've yeah. got that self-awareness to understand they're not very good. Yeah. But how, how can we make that decision? How, how can we get better at making that decision to stop something? I think, I think self-awareness is really important, but I also think it's a scale, right? So I, I, don't, I don't think you either are self-aware or you're not. I think it's the extent to which you are self-aware. I'm sure there are many things about me that are completely embarrassing that if I really wanted to, I'd sit down with my wife and she could tell me all of them and I would never have thought of them. But I think I'm self-aware enough to know my own shortcomings and and sometimes it's natural to get insecure about that mm. and think, oh God, I'm terrible at that. So why is anyone going to take me seriously? What you need to do is pair it up with something maybe you're good at and then c- create a balance. So is it learned maybe it's learned i think older people maybe in some cases tend to be more self-aware but then some people get very set in their way so it's a bit of a conundrum really i don't know i'm not sure Mm. i mean you probably woke up this morning thinking that outfit looked good you know (laughs) (laughs) and i'm the same so you know maybe it's just a slight i think it's a sliding scale i think you've got to know enough about yourself to to understand so i'll tell you a good example right i'll stick the boot in on myself why not i know that a lot of people out there think I am boorish, boring, loud, and obnoxious, and they don't like listening to the stuff I do, right? Now, I could take that information, which I know to be true, and say, well, do you know what? If they don't like it, I'm not going to do it anymore because I'm obviously rubbish at it. Mm. Or what I could do is say, I'm going to internalize that and realize that my style of broadcasting is a certain style not everyone likes. 
but are there enough people out there that do like it to sustain a career for me? And so far there are. So what am I going to do? Lie awake at night worrying about people who don't like me and trying to convert them into fans or focus on the people who do enjoy the stuff that I do, which takes a lot of hard work. Um, and it's obviously going to be the latter. So I'm self-aware enough to understand not everyone likes me, but I'm also balanced enough not to try and let it affect me. If you know what I mean, does that make sense? Oh, of course, mate. Well, you're always going to have the haters. You're yeah. always going to. You can't please everybody. Like I always, I think about it here as well. Like you put a podcast episode out, not every one of the people who've listened in the past are going to enjoy the story of that guest. No, but you'd hope to have a little bit of variety of the stories. Anyway, yeah, of course. You got to have confidence in what you're doing. Yeah, hmm. yeah, a bit of self confidence. Well, I mean, there might be people who listen to this going, "Why have you got this guy on? I've never heard of him." And that's fair enough. But it's your decision because it's your podcast. Yeah, yeah, I love that, mate. Hmm. All right. So something you mentioned earlier when you're talking about listening to the radio when you're a kid. I'm always like to hear like where these original ideas came from. So was there someone like a like a, a mentor or someone you looked up to who introduced you to radio or someone who worked in radio that you knew or like someone that you aspired to be like? I've what thought were... I've thought about this before and I think it comes from my initial love of music. So I grew up in a very musical household. Um the old kind of boring story. We didn't have an awful lot, but we had like we had you know music was very important to my family that my family all bought records and listened to them. And, and I, th- I would say that I had a good musical education as a kid in terms of popular music. What did you like? What was your music? Well, you, well I, would, I, would, I can remember vividly being driven. My parents got a car when I was, for the first time when I was about eight or nine. And I remember, so this is in the late 80s, and I remember had a little tape deck in it. And my mum would put together like best of David Bowie tapes and play them in the car and we'd sing along and, and all that kind of stuff. And that, that got me into music and then got me thinking actually this is my parents music and I do like it but I don't want to be uncool at school mm-hmm. so then I started listening to like pop music and I used to like stuff like Guns N' Roses so my, so my so then what would happen was clearly because it was the 80s and the early 90s I'd listen to the radio to hear music and I think through that I got into the idea of radio itself and the people who spoke between the music and then mm-hmm. the people who just did talk shows and, yeah. and that's how I got into it I didn't I, I, I didn't I'm not trying to give you the old Uncle Albert from Only Fools and Horses kind of back in my day during the war. I had absolutely, but I had absolutely no idea or connection to anything that I now do other than the fact that I like listening to the radio. So when I moved to London, I moved to London in 2004 with a few of my friends because there was nothing really going on where I grew up and it was kind of a dead end thing. And um, I wanted to get out of there really. And I'd just come back from New Zealand. I was out in New Zealand um, doing a little bit of traveling around I took a year out um, between college and uni. I worked all the way through uni. And back in 2003, it was that time before the financial crisis where you could just get a loan without even having a job. So what I did was I went to the bank. My friends had all gone off to, to Australia and New Zealand, and I was stuck at home. I went to the bank, and I said, I want a loan for £10,000. This will be crazy the young people listening to this now, but I promise you this happened. I went to the bank and said, I want £10,000 loan. I want you to give me an extra £2,000 for the payments for the next year so I can pay it because I haven't got a job and I want to go travelling. And the woman was like, all right, yeah, just signed it off. So I got right. 10 grand, which I spent then spent five years paying back, by the way, when I got to London. Um, I, I, so I went off travelling, came back, ended up being in New Zealand for a while, came back. My friends then moved to London. So I moved to London with no job, nothing. I think I had like 400 quid, which is going to cover my first month's rent and I had no job to go to. I went to Capital Radio in Leicester Square because this agency um, who were putting people in jobs couldn't find me a job the final one they put me in for was capital radio as an assistant on the sales floor so i went along and um they gave me the job 
long story short, they, they gave me the job. Um, I, I got to the point, really, if I'm rambling and boring on here, then just stop me. But I had gotten, I was, I've always been quite a confident, sort of talkative person. Like I said before, the only thing I've ever been good at is talking, right? So when I was in my hometown looking for Saturday jobs, I'd always get the job because they would come in. I would come in. I wouldn't be nervous. I'd just talk about myself like I am now for half an hour. And they go, oh, yeah, this guy seems like he'd be good at selling clothes or stacking shelves or talking to people or helping people find stuff in the supermarket. And they just give me the job. So what that gave me was an inflated sense of my own worth, thinking that I would just breeze through life. When I got to London, I couldn't get a job. I went for like eight, nine interviews for different types of jobs through a media agency, and I couldn't get one. And I thought, God, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I've got no money. I've been here for like two or three months. I had to borrow some money off um, my dad. And... Um, it was getting bad. And um, the first and only time I've ever borrowed money off my parents, I think, and it was it was getting pretty desperate. And I went into Capital Radio for my final one. And I was just, it's like the old Hollywood film thing. You're just like, I was I'm probably only a couple of rungs on the ladder short of just going, I don't care if you give me this job or not. Um, I'm here, you know, I, I can't find a job. I quite think I'm, I think I could be quite good. I'm quite hardworking. I like radio. Can I have it? And then we, and and I just completely relaxed because I had no expectation. And they gave me the job. They called me up on the way home and said, "Can you start on Monday?" And that's how it started. And I ended up just just filing, making tea, um, doing odd jobs around the sales floor at Capital Radio, which of course owned all these different radio stations. And um, that a couple of years after that, the podcast came alongside that, and that's how I met Pete because he was working at XFM, who was part of the same radio yeah. group, and it went from there. So um, the journey has been one of really just like rolling my sleeves up and working hard. And I've always felt like my talents aren't really that broad, but I can talk and I can out, I'll back myself to outwork you. If you, if you, if you want to come in at eight and work till 10 at night, I can do that. Uh, and I, I kind of back myself to, to keep, keep, keep grinding away and until I get there. And that's something that I think has been instilled in me by my, hard working working class kind of parents who had kids very young and knew they had to keep food on the table for their children and i've always been taught that if you try hard if you don't if you don't succeed don't worry about it but know that you've left it all out there that's that's kind of what's been about for me amazing mate you had that all the way through all through your childhood education and job everything no not school no at school i didn't try and and i think it taught me that and when, by the time I managed to bluff my way into university, I realised that I had to actually work hard, that I wasn't the cleverest kid around and that I wasn't as good as I thought I was, to be honest. And there's always going to be people out there better than me and I need to make up that shortfall by working hard. And from about 19, 20 onwards, I've always been pretty good, I think. Yeah. I've tried to be anyway. That's something I've thought about a lot recently. I was the same in school. I was a bit of a naughty kid. Uh, yeah. Just loved playing sport, loved getting amongst it and didn't really try that hard in education, just kind of like did enough just to scrape through. Mm. And I think if I would do it again, I wouldn't change anything just because of where, where I am now. And I, yeah. I loved it and got great friends at, from from those experiences anyway. But sure. if I did it again, I would probably apply myself a little bit more. Yeah, and I think it can go the other way though. I think I think if you make your mistakes as a kid, that's kind of okay. Hmm. I, I think I think it's it's been okay for me. I think there's too many people out there, and I I've, I've, I feel like I have experience with this because sometimes we hire people, and so I've hired people, and I've had more traditional jobs. I've had to hire people. And there's too many people out there who'll come into your company at an entry level with a good degree and say, "There you go. When do I start?" And it's like it ain't like that. Your hard work isn't over now because you've got a degree. This is when you start. This is the hard work starts from now. So I'd rather be someone who understands the value of hard work as an adult because I think it's what's going to make the difference for you 
So, and, you, and, you, and it's kind of an abstract question to think about how you would change stuff because everything leads to where you are now. You're right. Yeah. So it's difficult to understand how that would be, be any better. Yeah, no, mate, it's a good point. I love that. I think, well, I just think the transition from education into the working world would have been easier had I grafted a little bit more at school. Yeah. But, yeah. but you, like you said, as an adult, you learn that. Yeah, there's no teaching me. I mean, my parents would tell me. I mean, it was not, it's not my parents' fault. They would, they would, they would be hammering me every night to do homework yeah. and to try harder. And you know, I just didn't want to do it. I, yeah. I, I, I thought I knew better. I thought I could get by. And I, to be fair, I mean, this is going to sound arrogant, but I could get by. I was clever enough to get by. I passed all my GCSEs. I got A levels. I went to uni. Should I have gone to a better uni? Maybe, but I'm. I'm if I didn't go to where I went, I wouldn't be here now. So yeah. it's difficult to understand how that, how making it different would have made it any better. Yeah, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, and I'm very happy. With, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing now. So it's, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to change it. Yeah, mate. No, I mean, either to be fair. And great story by the way. I think that's such a good message about getting in there, the ground, and grafting and working your way up. And mm. think, I do think opportunities present themselves when that stuff happens. So yeah, you, I, th I think one of the things that's underplayed in in the workplace, and and, and certainly if you want to you know, branch out and entrepreneur, be entrepreneur, whatever it is you want to do, it's the, 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 the value of a, of, a, of a social relationship, the value of a, of a communication with other people, how you can get on with other people. And can you put a team together who can get on with a lot of different types of people? Because I think what ultimately going to help you succeed in life is, is, is your personal relationships and your working relationships and how strong they are. Because yeah. I think if you are someone who, who, don't, who doesn't find it easy to socialise or to talk to people or to communicate... I'm, I think I think life's harder for you mm. and I think a lot is stressed on education and learning and, and, and that's and that's really important every day you should be trying to learn of course but the, the way you interact with other people is also really important yeah mate I couldn't agree more I think mm. it's the most important skill that anyone can have and if like I said if you don't necessarily have that or you can't connect with people as well it's your opportunity going back to what we spoke about at the beginning about comfort zones mm. to force yourself in that situation yeah um, even I'm similar to you like talkative quite outgoing confident but there are still circumstances when you can feel a little bit overwhelmed or, or out mm. of your comfort zone. And I've got to the stage now in my life where I force myself into those places because I know that I'm going to get benefit yeah. from being in them. And a lot of people are outwardly confident, and I would certainly say this about myself. It masks an inner insecurity. So mm. in, it masks an insecurity around things like fear of failure yeah. and being rejected and not being seen as good enough. And it's a certain amount of confidence and outgoing, gregarious kind of behaviour is to try and put up a barrier for people to come and like you. You want people to like you. And it's not a crime to want people to like you and want to be liked. It's kind of a natural thing. But if the un if the insecurity that underpins that is so crippling that you are scared of everything, that's when it can become a real problem. So I think you've got to turn your focus inwards at some points as well and realise that there's a balance to be struck in there and there's a you've got to maintain a realistic kind of expectation of that no one's really perfect yeah. and, and under, understand yourself as much as you can yeah mate 100 percent. i mean it goes back to like caveman days where in order to survive we needed to be able to connect with one another mm. but that's probably one of the biggest things i took away from my therapy sessions was that you, there's either a fear of a not being enough or b not being loved mm. they're quite closely linked but like mm. they're the two biggest fears that we live mm. with mm. for me it was either going to humor or mm. probably anger mm. yeah was the way to do that so if yeah. someone disagreed with me or whatever it would be an argument yeah or if like an emotional reaction to it yeah 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 yeah, yeah i can understand that yeah yeah i'd be interested to was there was there any any glaring glaringly obvious things that come up for you in your psychotherapy like big lessons like that 
emotion, emotional reactions to things are, are something that is very, very sort of emotional reactions to, to situations are something that I indulge in a lot, a lot, certainly a lot more than other people, maybe not as much as I used to, but I, I've felt that there's, there's an emotional reaction to something and then like a logical intellectual reaction to something. And I, I think all too often in the past, certainly I've been too ready to jump to the emotional reaction. How, and, and that, and, and the reason, and that sounds pretty like obvious and people are like, Oh, we well, just don't do that then. But it's not about that because a lot of the positive things I've done in my life and a lot of the things I've achieved have come from my emotional feeling towards it. And I'm picking the emotional reaction when it's negative from when the emotional gut reaction is positive and, it's quite a difficult thing to do when we do things like podcasts here. I like to think, and I'm, I'm, you know, look, we're doing, we're doing a show here about performance and how, how we live our lives and how we achieve. I, I don't think that I probably should have said this at the start. I don't think that I've achieved everything and that I know everything. I, I think you see, I'm still on a journey and the same as everyone is, but I do think I've learned a bit over the years. And I think when it comes to putting out new shows and developing new shows, I think I can tell fairly quickly whether someone is, at the level they need to be at to work with me and they probably should know the same for, for them for me and that's a gut reaction I can sometimes I can tell that just without even seeing them broadcast or hearing them broadcast because it'd, it'd be about the way they carry themselves now that's an emotional reaction there are plenty of people out there who go well listen I'm going to take this completely logically and listen to all this stuff on merit and work out whether it's good enough or not but I don't think life's about that sometimes you can't explain why you love someone or why you like someone or why you enjoy something but you do and so the emotional thing shouldn't be pushed to the side and dismissed as being a, a bad thing or a negative thing that should be ignored. But sometimes you have to understand that emotional reactions can be really unhelpful, like losing your temper or, yeah. or rallying against something for the sake of it or entrenching your position without properly thinking about it. And so I think some of the people I work with are very, very good at logically and intellectually breaking down things. They're much more intelligent than me. They're much more strategic than me. They're much cleverer than me at that kind of stuff. But I don't think they have the possession of the, the kind of gut thing, the, the passion thing, the, the, the taking everyone with you with passion and, and hard work and drive that, that, that I think I have. Yeah. And that's for other people to assess, really, but it might, it's my opinion of myself. So emotional reactions to things are kind of a pretty interesting area of my life, I think. Yeah. So refreshing to hear as well, though, because I've, I've thought with this idea myself a little bit as well. Like So much of what I have done has been down to me fueling myself or being fueled with emotions like anger mm. or like trying to prove somebody wrong mm. so you look at those things you go wow i did achieve that but it was it was driven from probably a place of insecurity or whatever it might yeah. be so how do you how do you feel so for example then if you achieve something really great but it comes from a place that's quite negative how do you react to that in, in retrospect well to be honest with you that's a good question because in the past even after you achieve those things you look back at them and you're not really that you don't value them yeah, yeah yeah because you don't think it's the thing that drove it was very honest yeah it's come from a place of yeah, negativity. So I've never really been like an angry. I, I don't really lose my temper very often. I'm not. I'm not somebody who shouts and rants and raves or anything. I'm not. I'm not really an angry kind of guy. I'm more of a probably more of a sulker, more of an internal <laughs> sulker, and more of a piss taker. But you know, you know, like so. If I take the piss out of you, like I did earlier about your clothes, and you know, you take the piss out of mine, whatever. You know, that I'm just mucking around, right? But you know yourself internally when you're taking the piss out of someone to be nasty. You know that. Oh, mate, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I'm probably more, which is a horrible thing to do and a horrible thing to admit, but obviously none of us are perfect. I think I'm much more likely to go on that route than I am to kind of shout in someone's face or, yeah. or be physical. I'm, I'm never kind of physically angry or anything like yeah. that. I think my anger was in sport. 
Right. So that's where I, I got my outlet was in sport, in football, yeah. playing football. Um, I was the same as you, again, but again in sport, but like in the change room scenarios, yeah. you can have the banter, you can have yeah. laughs, you can take the piss out of people. So that yeah. was another outlet. I think for me, where I really started to notice these things was when I stopped with the sport and I stopped playing football. And then I went straight into a corporate environment in a job mm. where everything was so different. Mm. You couldn't kick someone in training if you picked no, 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 off no. them. Or you couldn't have a go at them in the change So you were room. playing football almost full time then, really? Yeah, well, I played um, Northampton and Leicester Academies as a kid. Yeah. Played university in the UK. Got a scholarship, played over in the US. Yeah. And that's when it went pretty much full time. Yeah. Studying on the side as well. Yeah. Um, so you don't have that outlet as much when you stop doing that because you're not doing it all the time. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Every, we were training every single day. Mm. Yeah, and then we went. I went to completely nothing. Mm. And living in London, pretty much on my own. So we don't think about those outlets enough, really, do we? Like the way that, you know, certain things are a channel for certain emotions and certain outlets are... Um, really important yeah. and as soon as you take that away it can it can help obviously clearly you haven't got to be a rocket scientist to know if you stop doing exercise you're probably going to become less fit but yeah. the mental side of it as well can manifest itself in a number of different unhelpful ways if you take that away from someone yeah and that's what it did and that's what actually drove me took me a couple of years but drove me into doing a lot of the self-discovery mm. looking at more of that like going to therapy doing mm. meditation and stuff but then again that comes back around to like i, I used to worry is meditating going to make me less clinical in a deal because you're too relaxed or, yeah but what do you think of people because one of the things that i had guilt about when i started trying to become more self-aware and, and and again like i say it's a journey i'm not suggesting that i am completely self-aware but but one of the things i had guilt about when i started when i went to therapy for a bit and when i kind of realized that i had a bit of depression it would come and go in waves and i would suffer from it quite badly for short amounts of time and it was, i got to the point where i was fearful that it was going to come back again and that's what started it for me one of the things i had guilt about was just get over yourself stop being so self-obsessed you know most people around the world don't have the luxury of paying money to think about how happy they may or may not be they just get on with their life and i, I think there was a very decent sized part of me that thought you're just self-obsessed all you'd like to do is talk about yourself and think about yourself and you should get over it and do you think that's a fairly common thing I think you put your health first no matter what. And yeah. If that comes across as selfish, then fine. Yeah. But if you're if you're not happy, you're not, and, and you're in a place where you feel like you're depressed, then you've got to be selfish and you've got to take care of yourself. It's the classic thing, isn't it, when you're on the airplane and they say put the mask over yourself before you look yeah. after anyone else. If you're yeah. not in a place that's going to be good, you can't then serve anybody else who's around you. Yeah. You're not going to be good, good company for anybody else. You're not going to be able to help mm. in those scenarios as well. I, I think if your place of insecurity comes from thinking that you're like that already then maybe it's going to exaggerate that feeling yeah um, because the main reason i wanted to do this is not because i think you need to talk to me about my performance really or about how impressive i am because some of the people you've had on have done amazing things it's because i think that the conversation around mental health and and particularly among young men is is something that i feel really really passionately about mm. partly because of my own journey but also because you know, clearly there are other groups in the country and around the world who have it tougher than young white men. I understand that. But what I think is sometimes lost is the idea that whether I like it or not, I am a white man under the age of 45 and I can't do anything about that until I get over 45. Yeah. And the biggest killer of men in, in the country is, is suicide. Yeah. And I think that's an absolute scandal. And I don't think enough is made of that. And that's part, mostly why I wanted to do this, to to, to hopefully get across to people that, everyone to an extent as far as i know has 
issues around mental health because the human brain is a very complicated thing that yeah. we're not even close to understanding. And and <clears throat> what that means is if you are feeling a certain way out there, um, it's almost certain there's going to be other people out there who feel the same way as you. And some of them have dealt with it very badly and it's ended in tragedy for them. And some of them have dealt with it successfully and they've come out the other side of it. And I would be very, very keen, obviously, for as many people to do that second one as possible yeah. because it's something that I feel passionate about. Mate, I'm so pleased you brought it up and I'm so pleased we're doing this today anyway. But yeah. we were talking about the event that I did with Calm last mm. month. Yeah. And off the back of that, I've had over 10% of the people that attended get in touch with me to tell me they've then gone to see a therapist. Mm. Because I don't think sometimes we're not self-aware enough by ourselves on our own yeah. to realise that we, we might be in a bad place. Yeah. You kind of get used to it. You live in that situation for months, yeah. years, some people. Yeah, but yeah. It's like, it of, often it needs to come, like you are saying before, your mum and dad would tell you to work hard at school, but you didn't yeah. want to do it. Yeah. It often needs to come from somebody else who's completely neutral. So listening to Isaac Chamberlain talk about how he's suffered with mental health yeah. or somebody else in the room telling their story when you might have looked at them and thought, they're killing it. But then you learn, oh, actually, there's another side to it. They've had a really difficult time as well. Yeah. Then allows you to go, fucking hell, hang on. Maybe I am suffering yeah. a bit more than I thought. Oh, there are parts of my life, which I won't go into in huge detail, that I look back on them now and I can't remember a thing about them. Mm. I, can't, I literally can't remember. There, there, there's months, there's probably parts of my life where three or four months, where I can, if you, very key moments that I've got in my own mind about when I've had issues, where looking back at it now, it's just almost been like an entire, like a black hole. I can't remember anything I've done. Yet, on paper, I've carried on working. I've carried on maintaining relationships. I've done things that are relatively normal. And my close, or normal in quotes, my close friends and my family will probably know that something's been going on. And they've asked me if I'm okay. But outwardly, no one would ever be able to yeah. tell. And I think the difference between the ones I've had in the past in my life, from when I was a much younger man, to now, the most recent one, is the most recent one is when I went to the therapist. And I'm hoping the therapist has given me the tools to understand that going forward, I won't have to flounder around not knowing what's happening and be blown all over the place by these different mental health issues because I've been given the framework to hopefully deal with it. And if I haven't, I'll just go back. But I do understand that not everyone has the luxury of that. And that's, that's why it's important, hopefully, that people at least at the very basic level understand that it's not a, you're not the only person in the world to be going through it kind of thing. Yeah. And, and just finally on that, if, if someone's walking down the street and they've got a broken leg or when they're in a wheelchair, you know instinctively you can help them up the stairs or you can carry their bags for them. Yeah. Or you can. The mental health thing is completely different by its very nature and it's, it's a very tricky thing for that reason. What, what I'd say on that as well is like how many broken legs do you see on the street or mm. on, on the tube? Like, mm. Not many, mm. but if you look on the tube at the faces that are on the tube, yeah, yeah, how yeah. many people do you think are probably going through some depression or some yeah. hardships? Yeah. 90%. Yeah, lots of people have got their own problems, haven't they? Yeah. Exactly, everyone has really, yeah. yeah. So mate, what was it that kind of finally made you go and see someone then? What was it that pushed you over the edge? Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's, I don't think I was pushed over the edge. I, th I think. Maybe that's the wrong term, but yeah. like what kind of finally made you go, actually, I want to speak up now. I want to open up about what I've been thinking and what I've been feeling. To be honest, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, she didn't really know about it at the time until obviously I decided to go with it and I spoke to her, I spoke to her about it. Um, I, I, I didn't want... I don't want to sound too dramatic because I don't think I've really spent my whole life setting fire to things and, and you know, cutting relationships off and, and ruining people's lives. Well, I hope I haven't. But I think there were certain patterns of behaviour in my earlier life which meant that I was restricted from having 
a properly fulfilling relationship. And I don't mean that to disrespect anyone who I've been in a relationship with before my wife, because I've, they've been great really. And, and a lot of that was, a lot of this is me. It's nothing to do with them. And I think that at the time I was in a relationship with someone who was living in a different country to me. And, um, it was very difficult anyway, and it would have been difficult for anyone and I'd also broken up with a relationship that I'd been in for a very long time. And so a lot of things were happening and it felt quite tumultuous. Felt a bit like you're in a bit of a whirlpool. And I, I just thought, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to chill out a bit of money. I'm going to go see someone and it's just going to be me and them. And um, <clears throat> if it doesn't help me, well, I haven't really lost anything, right? It's just it's an hour and a half out of my time, whatever, because my first consult- consultation was a bit longer. I haven't lost anything. No, I, you know, it's just about me really. And it's nothing to do with anyone else. And, I, and it was just around the corner. It was a couple of doors away, a couple of streets away. So I just went along and, um, I decided that, that it was actually a really interesting thing and a helpful thing. And maybe it was partly psychosomatic. Maybe it's partly a placebo that I thought, Oh, now I'm actually talking about my problems. They'll be better. And maybe it was that, but ultimately it doesn't matter because the result is still the same. And I ended up just agreeing to go back every week for about 18 months. And, um, I can't really explain why just, I just, I just decided to do it. Some, a lot of the stuff I do is pretty instinctive. I just, I just do it and I, and I worry about it later with, with, and this goes back to when I used to have job interviews and stuff. And I, this is probably not going to do me any favors. It's not going to, I'm not suggesting anyone else should do this, but honestly, when they ever asked me if I could do anything at a job interview, I would just say yes, mm-hmm. because my rationale would be if I get the job, I'm probably not going to start for another six weeks. So I'll just, I'll just work that out. I'll learn it. If it's, if it's Photoshop, I'll just learn it. And then obviously it's ridiculous. I mean, but the thing is, I'm not a pilot. I'm not a doctor. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just doing, I'm trying to do my job. And so a lot of the stuff, I just do it. I don't really, I can't really explain it. I'm not really a methodical person, to be honest. I'm not very good on detail. I'm not, this is why the team we've got really helps me. And hopefully I help them in other ways, but they help me by saying, by the way, you know, next week you're doing that and you've agreed to do this. And, and when I go to them and say, why is this happening? This is ridiculous. And they were like, well, this is what you wanted to do like two weeks ago. I had it the other day. I went up to my colleague and I was like, why is so-and-so only being paid this amount of money when they're all being paid that amount of money? I think that's really out of order and I feel bad about it. And he was like, well, because you said that he's not worth that much money. So are you changing your mind? And I was like, yeah, I'm changing my mind. It's like, okay. So, so I'm not very good at remembering the details of things. A lot of the stuff I do is kind of instinctive. So going back to the original question, I think I probably just had enough. I think I probably just thought, this is bullshit. Like either, either, you know, try and do something about it or, or stop moaning about it. I know that's maybe not very helpful for everyone to hear, but for me, it is is helpful because it's almost, there is no issue and there's nothing wrong with feeling terrible and, and, you know, it's, it, as people always say, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not feel happy all the time. But depending on the type of person you are, do you want to just ride that out? Do you want to just hope it goes away? Or do you want to be proactive and try and do something about it? And you're absolutely right when you say some people aren't in the position to be able to, to, to make that decision for themselves and other people need to help them. I was, and so I tried to do something about it, and ultimately it's worked for me. But of course, other people around me have helped me as well. I've, you know, I'm in a very happy marriage and... I love my wife and, and she's very supportive and very loving towards me. So that obviously helps as well. Um, so yeah, that's, that's basically the answer. Yeah, mate, our, our stories are very similar in that sense. Mm. I think I was encouraged by my wife as well, or it came up in conversation to which I was very defensive. I was like, no, nah, I, mm. 
obviously don't need that. Mm. But then I started feeling worse and worse to the mm. point where I was like, oh, maybe you're right, actually, mm. I should probably go. But it's a big step, right, to accept yeah. that, you know, that, and I had this conversation with my wife quite a lot because she's quite, um, she's quite fiery. She's Italian American. She she kind of she's yeah you know, she's very intelligent, far more intelligent than me, and and far more worldly than me. And 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 she'll be fighting very very hard for things that are important to her, like women's rights and and equality and diversity and all that kind of thing. Really important stuff. And I'm as I said, I can't do anything about the fact that I'm a white man, uh, and I believe in all those things that she's espousing and i completely understand and we try and be as diverse as we can here and we've got a lot of work to do on that but we'll try and do it um but at the same time i am a a white man and i think that there are a lot of expectations on men as well and the reason i for example i'd be against the patriarchy in society is for all the obvious reasons but also because it it it, it puts unrealistic expectations on men as well mm. you know the, the patriarchy is this idea that obviously that we have a society that is dominated by men, that men make all the decisions, that men do this, and men are more rational, and women are emotional, all that kind of stuff. Well, actually, that's bullshit anyway, because not all men are like that. And what then happens is men feel a pressure to be really ambitious, to 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 be a leader, to to run companies, to make big decisions, because that's what men in quotes are supposed to do. When that's just bullshit, it's reductionist bullshit. That not every man wants to do that. So. We have to understand that this kind of idea of what's expected of us is only really imposed upon us by accepted wisdom in society, which most of the time is just complete bullshit. How funny is that, though? Because like, it is bullshit. It's the, the stereotypical male is what you've just explained there. Yeah. And how ironic the fact that, as a result, we suffer with mental health yeah. far more than the females that are supposedly the emotional ones. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, th- I think, you know, you could make a decent argument to say that if there are a lot more women in positions of power, there would be, you know, there'd be a lot better decisions being made because what's important is the balance. It's like mm-hmm. a diversity. It's a, a, a range of different experiences, which then inform a range of different opinions, which then can help to make the right decision. It's not healthy for, I mean, I don't know the statistics, but 230 of 200 of the 50 biggest companies in the UK to be run by men. It's not healthy. It's not right. You know, the board at board level in companies, it should be diverse, not because we're ticking a box and trying to be politically correct and because, oh, you can't say anything anymore. It's because that's better for everyone. And, and that's why that kind of thing is definitely informing people's mental health issues, in my experience. And that's why sometimes you want to grab people and shake them and say, don't, there's nothing to be, if you're, if you're a man, there's nothing to be scared of. Don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. But, the expectation being placed upon you is partly what's making you angry about this and you need to take a look at it and reflect on it. Yeah. It goes back to what we were saying before, like the tapes that you play in your head from those stories that you might have put in there from a young age. Mm. We just need to remove those Mm. and you can rewrite them to whatever you want to do. So our stories are, as a society, that men are strong, tough, emotionless, don't display emotion. Mm. Um, We just rewrite them. And I think we're doing a really good job as a society to change that now, the stuff that Karma doing and other charities. It's been a long time coming though. Yeah. It's taken a while. There's a lot more work to do, and 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 um, well, yeah, of course. I mean, those charities need all the help they can they can get, and 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 really, sometimes I get a little bit annoyed that it falls upon charities to have to do this kind of stuff because it has to come probably a a far younger age with parenting and schooling. Because otherwise, what we're doing, Mark, is we're just treating the the problem. We're not going to the cause of yeah. it. We're not going to the root of it. Yeah. You know, it's the, the what we need to do is actually get in there at sort of basic ground level and and say. If you're a boy, you don't have to have a toy gun. And if you're a girl, you don't have to have a doll. You know, you, you can 
whatever you want to play with, whatever expectations you've got of being yourself, you can be. You know, it's like the whole idea, another example of this back in the day, I don't know if you were the same, is it like, oh, men were doctors and women were nurses. It's like, this is bullshit. It's absolutely yeah. bullshit. It's factually incorrect. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it's fucking really, really detrimental to society to think in that way. And so I think it needs to happen far earlier. Now, of course, it's important to treat these things and charities do a brilliant job doing that because we can't turn the clock back for people our age. But hopefully in generations to come, it'll be a lot easier. Yeah. Well, things like meditation are being introduced to schools where they can start to do more. It's difficult at such a young age where they can be more self-aware of who they are and what they want to be when they grow up rather than just listen to what society says. Mm. And then the other side of it, I suppose, is is the big the CEOs of those big companies enforcing but authentically enforcing these things about mental health and wellness in businesses. Yeah. I, I'm in a corporate business still. Um, they talk about wellness all the time. It's something that's like a bit of a buzzword, to be honest. How often is it enforced as a priority? Not very. Mm. People still want you to close your sales deal before they check how your mental health is. Yeah. Um, that's their pro- that's still their priority. Yeah. Yeah. Is that ever going to change? Probably not. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought. But you said there that you don't think it's going to help giving advice to just stop moaning and go and speak to someone. But maybe something like talking about how it affected your performance in those moments of darkness when you said it was like a complete blur. Hmm. How how did it affect your performance? How were you day to day? I think it's other people to probably other people to judge that. I would I'd I'd probably imagine it wasn't as it was probably quite poor, but I can't can't really remember. I think it's for other people to. I, I certainly don't remember. I don't have overt memories of people were complaining that it was bad or you know whatever um but i didn't feel like it was as good as it could be and it was affecting me in some way i don't have a full memory of it i think it's probably for other people to decide that but the reason it's important is the principle of it is that clearly we know that mental health issues do affect people's performance and other people do far more important jobs than i do and if i if i phone in a podcast once every three months you know, men will not die, women will not die, children will not die. Other people who perhaps have somewhat more important jobs than me could could have a bad effect. You know, we've seen yeah. we've seen you know you know plane disasters and and ship sinkings and all sorts have gone wrong because of people's mental health. So the principle of it is really important to make clear that it does affect people's performance, and sometimes yeah. that can be very difficult, particularly in highly stressful jobs. Yeah, mate, it's fascinating. It's almost like being intoxicated to a degree, isn't it? When you look at people's performance being suffered by mm. if you've been drinking or taking drugs. Yeah. Like it could be the same level if you're if you're really suffering with depression or Yeah, and I don't know if anyone else has this, but I, I sometimes look back on things when I've not been intoxicated in any way, but think, What what are you doing? What why were you behaving like that? Why are you why were you like behaving in that way? when you had no reason to do it. And I think, I think it's, the pers- personalities are kind of really interesting because my, my personality is very emotional. I'm very emotionally led on things. And that can manifest itself in like bizarre things. I, I'll think to myself, mate, even like a week before, I'll think, hang on a minute, what were you talking about then? You're talking absolute rubbish. Why are you behaving in that way? Why did you make that decision? And sometimes you kind of, you want to have that life where people are just straight. I know people who are so mentally stable that you, if I went and met one of them now that I hadn't seen for 10 years, he or she would be exactly the same as they were like 10 years ago. Not, it's not, I'm not having a go at them. I'm sure they're achieving a lot more than they were, but their mental state is very, very similar. Now that might be just, they're very good at hiding it. It might be that every single human being has these, these emotionally 
very different waves of of, of behavior. But some, I, I don't think so, I don't think everyone does. Yeah, I do. And so it's fascinating the, the impact that your mental health has on that, and it definitely does affect your performance. And 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 yeah, we've seen it. You know, to go from the serious to the to the more frivolous in terms of the job. A lot of comedians have that situation. Yeah. You know, you got a lot of comedians who in you know tears of a clown and all that kind of stuff. The people who inwardly are just in so much pain, but their way of dealing with it is to make other people entertain them. Other people laugh. I mean, Robin Williams is a classic example yeah. of this. Would Robin Williams be as good a comedian if he wasn't the kind of guy he was? I don't think you can argue he would be. I mean, it's part of the deal, isn't it? And so that's really sad. And you'd like to think there's a situation where you could make him to be really happy and still be able to do the job that is the only thing he feels that makes him happy. But he might not have that if he's not unhappy. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, completely. But I think his example, although it was really, really sad, comes back to what we were speaking about before. It was driven from a place of negativity, driven mm. from his insecurities of feeling like he wasn't loved. Mm. Even though I, I was at the Tony Robbins convention a couple of months ago, and they used this example mm. during one of the days there, and they said, "Hands up, everyone in the room who loved Robin Williams," and mm. all twelve thousand people put their hands up. Yeah, but he had a, he didn't feel that he didn't turn he, he didn't like feel yeah. any of that love. But for whatever yeah. reason, you know, we spoke about how you can feel those emotions and stuff already today. Yeah, um, he couldn't feel them for whatever reason. But I think for 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 me and you, definitely. I think that another one of the similarities we have is that you spoke about your skill, rallying the troops, having that emotion, driving people f- mm. forward, being the leader. And with that high energy, that high tempo that you can drive in your life, often that means that you also get like the kind of the lows as well. Yeah. So you get like the high highs and the low lows. And I think there's, I think there's a lot to unpack there. I think, I think it's definitely I'm much better at internalizing criticism than I am internalizing praise. So the praise is kind of the thing that I always feel like I need. So don't internalize it. If you if you if you are someone I respect and your opinion means something to me and you criticize me about something, I'll keep that with me for quite a long time. And I'd like it to be the opposite really, but it's impossible to do that. And then on the leadership thing, I don't think I'll, I don't consider myself to be the best leader even in this company, let alone more broadly. I think if someone was to ask me to talk about leadership uh, event or whatever I think I'd feel a bit a bit of a fraud really there are other people in my organisation who are much better leader than me and the reason I say that is because there are different ways of leading right I'm not suggesting that the only way of leading is you know <clears throat> sword in hand at the front of all the troops mm-hmm. saying right follow me clearly that is a type of it and you can you know you can lead people along and, and, and be the driving force and I'd like to think I've done that on occasion but being a leader isn't about always being right and always being the one who who, who says it. Sometimes people lead by example. And, and the classic example, although it's a bit cliche... I but hope it, you're going to say what I think you're going to say. What's that? Go on. Well, the classic example would be a different way to be a football captain. I was going to say Patrick Vieira versus Fabregas. Yeah, okay, right. I was going to say that. They, I was going to say David Beckham. Okay. So right. David Beckham's not a guy who would be a brilliant orator or, or do the whole Terry Butcher in the changing room, Cage Tigers thing but he, he's someone who works really hard, trains really hard, yeah. gives it his best and shows people what it means to him and that can be inspiring to other people as well. So I know people who are brilliant leaders, far better leaders than I'll ever be, who never really raise their voice, never really um, go around the group going, come on, and it still works. In fact, it works better than other ways of doing it sometimes. So it's kind of an intangible thing sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, completely, mate. I love that as well. I think that way. Well, my example, what I was going to say, was not too dissimilar. Like the Patrick Vieira would go around and shout at people in the change room. Hmm. And then when, when we moved, I went Arsenal fan. That's yeah. Why I'm using this. Okay, <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. 
um, from our sins. When Fabregas was the captain, it was like a big talking point that, oh, well, he doesn't do that. He just does it by example on the pitch, mm. which is, again... But that's that's also sometimes a way of excusing someone who isn't a very good leader. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> you can't see what they're doing because they do it a different way, but it might be they're just not doing anything. And it's a, and for expedience or for political reason they've been made a captain I'm yeah. not suggesting that's the case with him but I do think there's a factor in that Yeah, because I don't think anyone would say that David Beckham wasn't the right person to choose to captain England at that time but he also wasn't the guy as I've said who would who would shout and rant and rave all the time and, that, yeah. and, and also by the way the ranting and raving thing and, and the and the passionate emotional display that's got a finite kind of um, shelf life anyway because if you're working with the same people for years like I do whatever the way however the way you are people will just get used to it. You know, it's like a, a football manager will tell you, you've probably got two or three big teacup throwing, rant and raving things in the change room a season. Otherwise, people just, people just in one ear out the other. Yeah. Oh, here he goes again. Kind of. We've all, whatever level of football we've played, we've all played for managers like that. I've, I've, I've distinctly remember, I remember playing for a guy who, um, who would dig you out, just dig you out over and over again. And for the first three or four months, You'd probably think about it and go, okay, fair enough. I could have done better there or I'm not very good here or whatever. After a while, I just never listened to the guy after that. Yeah. I would do what he said because he was a manager, but I wouldn't play for him. Yeah. And I think, so there's a balance to be struck. And I think leadership is quite an intangible thing. And I don't really, I, and it's another, it goes back to what I was saying before. I used to think I was brilliant at everything because I was young. And when I moved to London and realized it was a much more competitive place, I realised I wasn't. I probably used to think I was quite a good leader because sometimes I'll be captain of my football team and sometimes I would be the one who would go forward and say, look, I'll take this on. And and back in the early days of the Ramble, I would take on all the editing and the organisation and everything. And and so I was probably seduced into thinking that I was good at that. I wasn't good at that. I was just the one who had said they would do it and I was probably the best of a poor bunch at certain skills. And then someone who comes along who's actually good at it, you think, Jesus, okay, and it, it can become quite difficult because yeah. you're like, hang on a minute, this was my thing and now it's this guy's thing and now I feel like a bit of a dickhead and, and <laughs> you have to kind of get over that. So there's different there's different scales of it all anyway. Yeah, but that comes back, well, have you heard the saying where they say like, the more you know, or the more you learn, the more you realise you don't know. Yeah. The like, more you know, you realise you don't know. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but a, a Greek philosopher said, um, true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going for. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nailed it. But I can't remember who said it, so yeah. I'll, I've let myself uh, down there. Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's either him or Socrates or Plato. Yeah. Always one of them. Yeah. So, mate, we're talking about football there. Nice little transition. What does football do to us? Because we both played football. I played from a young age, five years old, stopped at 26. Things like leadership, things like mm. um, learning to win and lose, like yeah. ge- general... Uh, like learning how to get out of your mind into your body and learning to like get into things like flow state, which are things that I think if you haven't played sport, yeah. you experience. I, mean, I have really. I have played sport, but I've never experienced that. <laughs> I know what it is, but I've never been good enough at any sport to experience it. You know. I, 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 Do you get it in your conversations though, in your podcast? Yes. Yeah. yeah, sometimes. Sometimes you get into a zone where you think, very, very rarely, and people listening will probably disagree, and that's absolutely fine, but sometimes you get into a thing where you think, fucking hell, this is actually good. It's, at the time, you're thinking, this is really good. I was thinking this a bit today. Were you? Yeah. Were you? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, I'm just talking about myself, so I don't count, I'm just talking about myself. But um, I think, to answer your question, I, I really, really firmly believe that whatever your team sport is, it's really important, because what I need here and I imagine what everyone needs, whatever the size of business, whatever the type of business, I don't fucking care, really, anything else other than whether you're going to try really hard, you're going to do what you say you're going to do, 
and you're going to put the team first. If you do those things, I'll f- I won't forgive everything. I won't forgive you if you're a raving lunatic sexist or racist or something like that. But broadly speaking, if they're the three boxes you can tick for this for this company, you're going to be you're going to be you're going to be fine. Say that again. So you need to be um, you have to work as hard as you can. You do what you say you're going to do, and you need to put the team first. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think that all those things can be learned almost implicitly through learning playing sport, team sport from a young age. I think I'm not putting team sport above individual sport in in the pantheon of you know what's important. I think if you're a world class tennis player. You're um, good for you, brilliant. Um, but I think if I was working with someone who played at a top level of a football team or a top level in tennis, I would go for the football team or the rugby team because they know what it means to rely on other people and have other people rely on you. And so sport's been really important for me. I've never really been that good at it. In the grand scheme of things, I've always been fairly poor at most of the sports I've done, but I've been good enough to actually play for teams and, and be a part of a regular kind of thing. Um, and so I've experienced that and I've experienced how important it is and I, I, I firmly believe that, you know, it's like Camus said, everything I learned about responsibilities and morality, I've learned from football. I mean, because it's, it's almost an almost unique environment. And, and to me, it's really important. And I find it endlessly fascinating, the, the kind of personalities and the relationships and the, and the teamwork that has to happen. And I do think you can learn a lot from it. It's cliched. It's a bit like... Maybe some people feel like it's putting a square peg in a round hole saying that, yeah, this isn't a football team. But it's not about that. It doesn't have to be a football team. We make a very, a very you know, a, a big football show. And so okay, maybe it's more relevant, but the, the fact that it's a team is really important. And I don't want to know that you have a personal ambition to do this, that, and the other. When you leave here, that's up to you. I don't care about what you want to do in your own time. Well, I do care because I care about these people generally. But when we're in here, and when we're in the office and we're doing stuff, what can you do for the team? What are you doing that benefits the team? Your personal ambitions aren't as important as the team ambitions for this amount of time we're in here. And I'll tell you what, it's, a, it's been a big revelation for me over the years. Some people I've worked with and I think that you're brilliant. I, I've known people who, you know, they've come out of, Cambridge or Oxford with great degrees and they've got great jobs and they've come here and they've worked with us for one reason or another and every single box they tick, they're brilliant, but they're not a team player. Mm. And as soon as they're not a team player, the whole fabric just comes apart. You can't, there's nothing you can do because the mindset they're in isn't putting the team first. Putting the team first isn't just a buzz thing to say to sound fucking clever. It's the priority that we, which you make decisions. If you're just making them for yourself, you're probably going to be successful and you're probably going to do well you're not of benefit to a wider team. And so that means that the job you should do shouldn't be in the same environment that we're trying to achieve yeah. here. I think that helps massively as far as like, when we're talking about mental health and stuff as well, one of the key things that helps people get beyond that and feel happier in their life is through contribution. Yes. So a selfish approach, again, would is not going to... Put do you so so one of the things, if you go and talk to Mind, the charity, look after mental health, they do, they've got a great service where you can call them up. It's kind of like a Samaritan's type thing. Yeah. One of the things on their website is go and do some charity work. Yeah. You know, well, what am I going to get out of that? Fucking wait and see. You'll have a great time because you'll be helping, you'll be contributing, you'll feel like you're back part of society and other people who are less fortunate than you will benefit and that's a good thing. Um, honestly, hard work, team dynamic and if you say you're going to do something, do it because that's really, un- that's really undermining if you don't yeah. because if I'm, 
if you or I rely on someone else doing that, you think, well, great, that's something I haven't got to worry yeah. about, and they don't do it, you, you, you're fucked. Yeah, that's integrity. Yeah, integrity, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. That's something that's difficult as well, like the, uh, not the integrity side of things, but like team players. So for people who listen who are in sales jobs like I am, mm. when you've got an individual target, Mm. everything's driven towards performing to achieve that target. Mm. There's a team target as well, but you might not be incentivized for that. Mm. It's difficult to take your eyes off your own course. thing that you're chasing. That's just common sense though, right? Yeah. Because you ultimately, your responsibility is going to be to yourself. And that's what people will say when they hear this. We have more responsibilities to myself, of course. But if we understand that as a group, we can achieve a lot more than the sum of our parts. This is what this is what the Football Round has been about. Yeah. It's been about this intangible idea that it's greater than the sum of its parts. If I go and do a show on my own, it might be good. It might be popular. If Pete or Jim or Marcus or John goes into this thing on their own, it probably, they'll probably, they're talented people, so I'm sure they'll do well. But the idea is when we're all together, we can create a lot more. We can achieve a lot more. And our responsibilities can be to ourselves by keeping the roof over our heads, keeping the light on, you know, having the money that we want, but through the team, you know. Mm. Of course, there comes a point where if you or I are in business together, and I'm taking the piss out of you, and we're working really hard, and I'm taking 90%, you're taking 10%, and you say to me, this is bullshit, and I say, well, your responsibility should be to the team. That's when the whole thing falls apart, because it's, it's not realistic. So there is a framework, but to me, it's, it's just all about teamwork. And it, even on the radio, live radio, it's a really important thing. You might have only one presenter doing a show, but you can have a producer, an AP, a tech op, a phone operator, a researcher, and you've all got to feel part of the team. Yeah. There's a BBC thing, I don't know if it's still around, but the BBC thing, which is complete bullshit, which is like talents here and then productions here, that you can't work like that. Mm. It doesn't work because the moment that people think that that person's more important than that person, even if on paper their job is more important, you have to understand everyone's important. So when we go for the football ramble and we go to away for a weekend, we don't just go with the people who are on air. Everyone comes along because they're part of the team and that's the whole point of it. You, you, that person should be as important as anyone else. And th those are the three really core key things that I think I've learned over the years. And it's not me trying to be teach people about it. They're the things I've actively learned by doing this. You mentioned the radio there. I know you're a pro at this, but are you helping with these transitions on purpose? No. <laughs> no, you're just good at it, mate. You're just good at it, yeah. <laughs> so we were talking briefly off air about your coming from recording the podcast, The Football Ramble, in your kitchen. Mm -hmm. bringing it to what it is today you've got your own studio that we're sat in which is amazing we spoke about and now you're on TalkSport so can you tell us a little bit about that uh, opportunity getting into TalkSport yeah. and we often talk about obstacles or failures and how we've learned from them mm -hmm. some of the experiences that you might have had on radio before which helped you to uh, get better and, and get to the place where you are yeah um, uh, years ago I was asked to do some stuff on Five Live BBC Five Live I'm friends with a guy called Andy Brassel, who to me is the is the best football pundit in the world, okay. and has been for a number of years. And I'm very fortunate to work with him now. Um, and he's slumming it with us, but more <laughs> good for him. We talked about charity work earlier, didn't we? So he's doing some charity work with us, although he's getting paid. Uh, everyone gets paid um, when they work for us. Um, he did a show called World Football Phoning, which is on two a.m. to four a.m. on a Friday night slash Saturday morning, and it was basically the idea. It was you had one guy called Tim Vickery, who was also brilliant, and Andy Brassel, and he Andy would take any question from anywhere in the world because it was also syndicated onto the World Service about European football, and Tim Vickery would take any questions about um, South American football. And sometimes I have a guy to come on to African football and maybe North American football. And the idea was you just basically have to know your shit, right? 
And I went to a game with Andy. He's a Wimbledon fan. I'm a Portsmouth fan. And we went down to Fratton Park and together when Portsmouth played Wimbledon. On the way back, he said, look, I'm thinking about taking a bit of a break from World Football Phoning. And they asked me to, to recommend someone to do it in my place. And he said, I think you should do it. And I was like, that's ridiculous. There's no way I can do that. He's like, you can, don't worry about it. You just down yourself. You can do it. You can do it. Um, I've told him you'll do it. You should do it. And it was really good for me because it was really nice for him to push me on and, and recommend me. And I was like, I don't know if I can do it. It's at two in the morning, blah, blah. And um, anyway, so I agreed to do it. And it's one of the only occasions, probably the only occasion where I've been right and Andy Brussels been wrong because <laughs> I wasn't good at it. I was bluffing my ticket. I don't think I let anyone down, which is important, but I wasn't very good. And um, let's just say I've never been asked back at the BBC since. Um, I don't ever expect to be asked back there. And I'm, I've made my peace with that. Um, and so at that point afterwards, I thought, well, you know what? I've tried Life Radio. I've been quite shit at it. I don't think it's for me. And um, podcasting isn't a means to an end. Podcasting is an end in itself. I want to build a podcast as big as I can. I want to, I'm happy to earn money off that. And financially, I've got no complaints. So... That's fine. So I thought that was closed off to me. And then about two years ago, someone from TalkSport came to John, who I work with, and said, "Would you? we'd like to take um, uh, someone from the Ramble to do the newspapers on the breakfast show. It's kind of a gig where not... Some people don't really want to do it because your car comes for you at five in the morning, pay's not amazing. You have to prep all the newspapers and you have to go on live radio and talk about the, the, the big sports stories from the newspapers that day. <clears throat> and I, fortunately... Um, Myself and one other guy, were, Marcus, were, were asked to do it. And um, uh, I, do you know what I did? I kind of, when I talked to you earlier about the interview, I just didn't care anymore. I, I, I was in a different mindset. I sort of thought of it as, this is a nice bonus thing to do. It's a bit of fun. It's exciting. Uh, you know, it's a fun show and it'll be, you know, it'll be something different, isn't it? Something to do. And so I did it and I was relaxed about it. And they kept asking me back. And then um, the, the mid-morning show, there's a guy called Bob Mills on there and sometimes he's off and they said, look, since you're here, do you mind staying and doing the mid-morning show one day, 10 to 1, because we need someone and we think you'd be good. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I ended up doing that and it was fine. Um, and, you know, at time of recording, touch wood, I've been there ever since and they've given me other shows and now I've got a show that I co-host with Danny Kelly, who's a you know, broadcasting legend, big hero of mine, so that was a real thrill. And people like Jim White and Danny Kelly and a lot of the production staff, too numerous to mention, have been really generous at the time. And, 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 and what you can find doing what I do is, because I'm not an ex-pro, and because I'm not a traditionally trained journalist, people don't really know what pigeonhole to put you in. They don't really know how to bracket you off. And so they'd rather just not deal with you. <laughs> um, but those guys have all been very generous, and, and they've not been... It's quite hard to explain, but I'll try and do it real quick. In a studio, a lot of men, and, and, and women almost never do this, it's a very male trait... Um, will alpha mail it they'll be like right I could have done that with you today this is a studio I work in between you and I this is my studio right it's owned by lots of us but it's between yeah. you and I it's mine yeah. I could have said right come in take your shoes off don't bring any water in here sit there and don't take the piss and real alpha mailed it and sort of taken a big piss around it and said this is my territory mm. um, I'd like to think I haven't done that but I could have done that <laughs> and a lot of people do that in studios, TV studios, radio studios. They're the older guy, they're the dominant guy, they're the host, it's their territory. And Danny Kelly, Jim White, Max Rushton, all these people I've worked with who are far bigger broadcasters than me have never done that. I've experienced it in the past in other way, other areas that I won't go into, but everyone at TalkSport has been 
brilliant to me. And they've they've taken me on merit, and they've and it's taken me a bit of time with some of the ex pros, again who I won't name, who are come from a very alpha male background, and they're ex footballers, and they're they're used to certain ways of doing things. So it's taken me a while to win them over. But generally speaking, Jim White and Danny Kelly particularly have both been absolutely amazing for my career. They've been so generous with their time. If I picked up the phone to either of them now, they would answer, they would talk to me. And the reason I mention that is because, one, because they don't have to do that. Clearly, they have to make a good radio show with me, and that's part of their job, and that's what they're paid to do. But they don't have to do anything above and beyond that, but they have. And I've tried to take that example and um, live that myself. So I'll take anyone criticising anything I do, but hopefully they won't say that I'm not generous with my time and I don't pay it forward because it's a really important thing of what makes the world go round. And they've done that to me and showed me that example. And so hopefully I can do that to other people as well. So that's that's kind of the radio story in a nutshell. Yeah. Amazing. What a great example of mentorship as well. Yeah. And I think, like, just to give you some feedback on that, uh, <laughs> positive feedback, you'll mm. be happy tonight. I'll take anything. Mate, you were honestly so generous with your time. You didn't have to speak with me after that event. You didn't have to invite me down to your studio. Mm. Someone who'd done like five, six episodes of a podcast who just wanted to pick your brains. Yeah. And you didn't have to do the episode today. So I can 100% well, back you for that. I know how important it'd be to me. And and you can learn a lot. Just not, I'm not saying here now, but with, with Danny and Jim, who are the two people I've probably worked with most closely, you can learn a lot just by watching them. Right. I, so I, I'm a big believer in the leading by example thing. And I'll, I'll sit there and I'll just try and think to myself, right, yeah, this is the time for me to earn money and this is the time for me to burnish my own reputation, but it's also time for me to learn. And I can learn just by watching how they work, how professional they can be. Now, there are some people there who I probably don't need to name because you'll probably know I'm talking about already, who aren't that professional and I've not learned anything from them. They've been perfectly decent to me and they've welcomed me in and I've, I've worked with them, but they're not that professional. And so there's nothing to learn from them. Once you find the people you can learn from, just by spending a couple hours in their company, I can learn more from them than I can learn in two years at college because they're doing it. Yeah. And, you know, that stuff's really important. And I, I really hope that I can continue to do that to other people, even though I'm still on the journey and I'm not, I'm not an expert in really anything. Um, I have done a thousand podcast episodes, like literally. So if someone says to me, how do I make a podcast? I don't want to give them the keys to the farm because I want to <laughs> try and maintain my own uh, my own position but I, I will help when I can because a lot of the stuff that appears obvious to me may not be obvious to other people yeah mate amazing back to contribution again yeah yeah yeah. alright mate so conscious of time yeah no it's fine yeah we do uh, the same three questions at the end of every episode okay so we do these so people can take immediate actionable advice take it away incorporate it into their lives and hopefully drive their performance forward mm-hmm. so the first of these is is there anything you've discovered recently that you're particularly excited about um is there anything I've discovered recently I'm particularly excited about? It's a good question. You mean professionally or just generally? It could be anything. It could be a new Netflix series that you've discovered. Oh, okay. It could be a book you've read. It could well, be I'll, probably t- I'll probably take the opportunity here to say that um, we're going to be the first UK football show to go daily from next season. So we're going to make shows every day with a variety of different people. Um, and it's going to be really exciting. And I think... The reason I'm excited about that is for obvious because it's you know it's my company partly and and I've, I've got a stake in it and, and I've worked on it, but also because I think that it can get us into a situation where with the football ramble at the moment you either like or you don't. Well, with this, it's going to be different types of shows that hopefully if you don't like one, you'll like another. And I do think although it's going to be brilliant for us, it's also going to be great for people who like football and like listening to audio programs about football. So I'm 
at this point when you ask me this today, I'm very excited about that. Okay, amazing. And when does that start? Do you say fifth of season? August? Yeah, Monday, fifth of August. Okay, yeah. awesome. Uh, all right, the second of these is if you had to give everyone listening one routine or habit to incorporate into a daily practice that's going to help them perform better, what would that one thing be? It would be plan and prep as much as you can and then work hard to fulfill what you've set out to do. So essentially attack the day. So mm. when you wake up in the morning, what am I doing today? What have I got planned? And you'll feel not only more focused, but you'll feel a better satisfaction at the end when you think I set these tasks for myself today and I've done them or I've done five out of the six until I can do the next one tomorrow. And just someone once told me something which has really stuck with me, which is the best people want to be the best all the time. Mm. It's not like, they want to be the best for a cup final or they want to be the best for the Champions League final or they want to be the best for that particular project. However small it is, they want to be the best at it. And that doesn't mean you have to go and, you know, apply that to, I want to be the, I want to do the best big shop in the Sainsbury's. <laughs> people do have time off where they just don't worry about stuff. I get that. But seriously, professionally, the best people want to be the best all the time. And to me personally, that helps me to try and do that. Yeah. It's like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't care. I, I've, I, I'm, I'll fully admit that I've, I've, had a, I've had a dig at someone who I work with for getting the wrong date on like a running order before. Because to me, it's a fucking important. That, that basic stuff's really important because if you get a date on a running order wrong, well, what's to say you're not going to get a name wrong mm. and you're going to say it wrong on the show and then we're going to get criticism for not being good. Yeah. It all links Aggregated marginal gains all links in together. Dave Brailsford at Team Sky, although they've got all their own issues, his aggregated marginal gain system where the tiny little things you can get better add up to a big hole. I'm a big believer in that yeah. because I've seen it. I've seen it how, it, how it, how it works. And those aggregated marginal gains might be big. They might be like, well, do you know what? We're not going to do a show next week because we can't be bothered. Well, that, good luck with that because now you've just lost a lot of listeners who really wanted to listen to a show on their way into work and are pissing down Monday the only light in their life is listening to three or four podcasts they like and you've just taken one from them because you can't be asked that stuff's important so set your targets and work hard to achieve them and also more importantly as well if you don't achieve them don't beat yourself up about it as long as you honestly worked hard to try and get there that's all you can do yeah so good mate like the the 1% rule yeah doing that incremental gains each yeah Yeah. What, uh, what do you do specifically like if you're prepping your day I use a couple of apps I use an app called Wonderlist where I set out what I want to achieve what I want to do um, and I, um, so sometimes I'm, I've not done it here, but as you can see, I've got a pen and paper here. I'll make a note of things. And I'll nice. tick them off as I go. Yeah. Um, I am luckily, and it is, it does feel like luck. I am quite driven. I am quite, I, I wouldn't necessarily give myself a huge amount of credit for many things, but hard work, drive and talking, I'm pretty good at, <laughs> um, not the best at it, but it's the three things I'm good at. And so it kind of comes fairly naturally to me. Someone once said to me, hard work is a skill, right? You can learn how to be a hard worker. And I'm absolutely sure that's the case. But I think I've always been someone in my adult life who's been able to do that. Yeah. I think you might have just answered the third question. What's that? So if you imagine there's two versions of yourself. Yeah. You take yourself back to way before any of these things happened for you, Football Mm. Ramble, the success with the show, Mm. being on TalkSport, all the other podcasts that you've brought onto your production company. What's the key differentiator or the key trait that differentiates the two versions of yourself? The one who went on to have all the success and the one who didn't. Probably um, the recognition of being part of a team. Hmm. Recognition that you can't do it all yourself, no matter how much you want to. And and it's somewhat, in some ways, it's really obvious. I mean, how many po- podcasts would we have in our production company if it was just me? Two? 
I don't know, maybe not even two. I don't know. We've got 11. We've got 11 and some of them I've had nothing to do with. Yeah. But I still benefit from it because I trust them to do it and they've done it and they trust me to do it and I've done it. And I think in my early 20s, it's all about me. It's all about myself. And lots of, you know, lots of people who know me will say, do you know what, with Luke, it is always about himself still because mm-hmm. I talk about myself a lot and because I'm quite self-obsessed because that's the thing that comes along with this self-awareness thing and learning about yourself. You then become quite self-obsessed and it mm-hmm. turns other people off. I've made my peace with that because hopefully people know I'm a decent person and I do care about them as well. Um, so teamwork, just, I can't stress it enough, honestly. There's nothing you can do. Give me an example. Anyone listening now, if you, if you care enough, tweet me an example of a job where you can do it completely on your own. There is, I, don't, I genuinely don't think there is one. Mm. So, it, so we at least that, understand at that basic level collaboration and teamwork is the most important thing. It's taken me years to, mem- to, to work it out. Like, yeah. Lots of people are very naturally good at it. I think I made the mistake in the past of thinking, if I incorporate other people into this team, well, what's going to happen is I'm going to do all the work and they're going to take the piss out of me and they're not going to pull their weight. Yeah, trust issues. Yeah. And so, um, and to be honest, sometimes that does happen. Yeah. But I, I kind of work on the old 10% rule. If you understand that 10% of people are going to be dickheads, and they're going to take a piss. Yeah. Can't make your peace with it because nothing's ever perfect anyway. That's another thing that's really important. Nothing's ever perfect, right? Yeah. You strive for it. I remember Anthony Joshua saying it. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying. And that's that's the same as everyone should be, yeah. you know, because no one's going to be, but you've got to, you've got to honestly work towards that. And so, yeah, but, but to me, it's probably teamwork. Yeah. Such good advice, mate. I love it. <laughs> well, so, mate, that is the end, but I've got one more thing. Some, okay. Something you said right at the beginning about the book reviews that you do. Mm-hmm. So we talk a lot on here about different books. A lot of them are personal development books. But yeah. you spoke about the thing you do on the show. Yeah. What books are you reviewing and what's your favourite? Okay, good question. I would, so it's mostly sports books and it goes from the fun knockabout sort of holiday reads to the more serious stuff. Um, and it's every Tuesday at 2.30 on TalkSport. And do you know what? I will give you, I'll give you two okay. real quick. One is by a guy called George Plimpton. And it's called Paper Lion. And he, for me, is the best sports writer to ever live. He's dead now. He's American. But he died a while ago. And he, he, I don't know if he coined it or he invented it, but he certainly was a practitioner of this immersive kind of journalism and writing. So if someone, if a publisher said to him, what are you going to write about the Detroit Lions in the mid-60s? He wouldn't go, all right, yeah, fine, and hit the books and start doing it. He would go and ingratiate himself with the team, build their trust, convince the coach to let them be part of the practice squad and train with them for like three months, which is what he did. And that's what Paper Line's about. About his entrance into, as a professional quarterback for the Detroit Lions in the 60s. And the only people that knew he wasn't uh, a professional quarterback at the start of it were the two coaches. All the other players weren't told. I mean, they worked out themselves because he was rubbish. But but he... he, um, he stayed with them. They loved him and they even let him play four downs for a charity game with the actual team. I mean, sorry, in a preseason game. So that is an example. I think the reason I bring that to the table is purely because, to me, that's the example of the standard that we should be striving for. Yeah. That We're not all sports writers, but if we are going to be sports writers, we should try and be George Plimpton because he's the guy who did it. And he went and did it. He played as a goaltender in the NHL. He pitched it in a baseball game. He's done loads of stuff. He's a fascinating guy. Um, he did a he did a he did a book called The Bogeyman where he went on the PGA tour for a year in the sixties with Arnold Palmer and 
all the other guys. What a legend. Yeah, and uh, Jack Nicholas and that. And um, so that's fascinating as well. Yeah. So him. But the one I've most recently done is a book called Unforgivable Blackness by Jeffrey C. Ward. And it's about um, the rise and fall of Jack Johnson, who was the first black heavyweight champion of the world. Mm. I think he won the belt in 1908. And his life is unbelievable. And the book really is about his rise and his fall, about race relations in America, about um, the stuff he had to put up with, about the shortcomings in his own character. It's a proper three-dimensional look at a guy who had as many good points as he did bad points and achieved as many things as he did, but also died a pauper and all the tragedy in his life and all the success in his life. And, you know, it really is a kind of rise and fall because it understands that it's not as simplistic as racist, bad, black guy, good. Broadly speaking, it is about that. Of course, racism is bad, but it also has the bravery of saying, this guy was amazing. He's a pioneer, one of the best heavyweights to ever live. Um, first black guy to become heavyweight champion of the world. Of course, that's amazing. But do you know what? He was also this as well. Mm. And he had a lot more to his character than just being this great, brave pioneer. He had a lot of stuff going on. And uh, it's a big, thick book, and it's a bit of a tome to get through. But if you want to invest in it, it's a brilliant book. So I'd recommend that because that also shows you that even the people who are geniuses, a lot of the time, in fact, maybe all the time, they're flawed as well, right? They've got a lot of shortcomings as well. And, and, and that fine line is one that maybe a genius has a foot on both sides of, um, the madness and the genius. And, and so it's, it's worth reading. That's called um, Unforgivable Blackness by Jeffrey Ward. Okay, amazing, mate. Any good? I'm brilliant. Hopefully, yeah. Give it yeah. a go. You might like them. You never yeah. know. Well, mate, thank you so much. I absolutely love chatting. Of course, no, thanks for having me. Thanks for your time, and I hope it's not been too boring. Oh, mate, well, you might have to yeah, separate yeah. it out. It's about four parts or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hour and a half. I could do it. I could do another hour. Easy. There's more stuff I want to ask you. But yeah, I appreciate it so much. We have got the football ramble where people can go listen to. Yeah, you're doing ramble meets as well, where you're doing more one-on-one style interviews like we're doing today. Yeah, that's on the same ramble feed. Check out the ramble daily from the fifth of August. Check out all the radio Stakhanov shows. That's S T A K H A N O V Stakhanov. Um, what else there's loads of stuff going on um, check us out check me out on Twitter at Luke Aaron Moore that's two A's and Aaron and you'll hopefully see what's going on through that but thanks for your time thank you so much and mate keep it, uh, keep it take flight <laughs> yeah keep it locked on take flight yeah <laughs> take a flight cheers yeah. thank you mate So there it is guys what an absolute legend luke is i really hope you enjoyed that the advice was amazing the talk about mental health and talking about psychotherapy and talking about meaning and how we can find purpose in our lives was so beneficial to me so i hope you guys had a similar impact from that chat something i really wanted to ask towards the end of the episode but i knew the episode was going on quite long i try and keep them to an hour believe it or not but we always tend to go over because there's so many things that i want to ask but we spoke a little bit there at the end about dealing with people who have an alpha mentality or people who perhaps haven't started to do some of this self-discovery and learn a little bit more about themselves and understand their emotions better and sometimes you need to try and manage them in different ways and I really wanted to ask Luke a little bit more about that and as I mentioned in the intro I sat down for a good half an hour afterwards and we spoke a little bit more we actually also traveled together to Victoria after the episode because we were both going the same direction I was heading down to see the boys at Manor and do the Friday throwdown session and um, we had a we had a good chat on the tube as well so I asked Luke after we stopped recording about how we can build relationships better with people who have very strong alpha mentalities who want to try and command and own a room 
whether you want to do that or not or whether you just want to better fit into that room or build relationships with these people most importantly and the advice again was amazing so I wish I did get it on the episode but I had to ask him afterwards and I made a couple of notes so two things really the first thing he said was just be brave be brave with those people put yourself in front of them and that's one way to really get their attention and command their attention but the other thing was read up about what these people respect read up about what they like read up about what they what, what kind of qualities they look for in other people and then build credentials around that which I thought was amazing advice so if there's somebody who feels like I don't know maybe they feel like being good at public speaking shows that you're a strong person then develop those skills in front of that person and, they, and, and that's going to give you credentials f- for that person but again it's such a difficult thing to talk about because I really believe strongly that we shouldn't try and impress other people but there are occasions where you're going to be working with people who are very, very alpha and, uh, and that was Luke's advice on how we manage that so thanks so much for listening guys I loved that that was episode 40 we're flying now there's going to be loads more coming through the summer as well which I can't wait to share and some exciting announcements coming up so in the meantime stay positive stay motivated and take flight